This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Unto us a child is born. Let's let's take a, a quick look. We, we won't be in this for very long this morning. We've been going through a series called True uh, Christianity. And... But, you know, it's appropriate today to um, digress a little and preach a Christmas message. Uh, that doesn't look very Christmassy, I'm sure, on the screen there. But it's the real meaning of Christmas. The real meaning of Christmas is not about Christmas trees, wrapped presents, cards, all those kinds of things. Uh, this could be an appropriate Passover message or evangelism message, an appropriate biblical message of any sort. Christmas is really a time in which we're reminded of one massive thing, and that is how far-reaching the love of God really is. How wide, how deep, how high, how far the love of God reaches. And if you think about your own life, how far God reached to redeem you. That's, that's where we need to think about Christmas from, that perspective, because that personalises it for each of us. It brings us back to understanding and thinking about it at a personal level, what God has done for you individually. Isaiah gives us two very specific predictions in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. So this is not a sign, a random sign. This is something, a sign that has been given by God himself. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Hallelujah. God with us. And then we read before Isaiah 9, verse 6 onwards. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is one tangled statement because this ties in this huge understanding of the triunity of the Godhead into that verse. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Hallelujah. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with Judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. But let's go back a little further than this to put it into a context, I guess, that Scripture has always hinted at from the very beginning. Because these are not the only foretellings of the coming of Christ. And it's in seeing these prophecies, these foretellings of Christ's coming, that we are reminded over and over and over 
how far-reaching the love of God is. God's love is so far-reaching that he reached down into the 20th century to save you, or maybe into the 21st century. That's a long way in time from the cross. But it is the evidence of the reality of the living God that down through time and history, God would reach all the way down into, into your present life, your present world, in order to save you from what? From being a good person? No. Is the right answer? To save you from your sins. Your sins that you committed. That's how wide and how deep and how far-reaching the love of God really is. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. When the term seed is used like this, it it is used usually in the plural sense. And it's an important word because it, it applies to a line of descendants. But here the word as it's spoken by the Lord, I shall put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, between you and her descendants, but yet no, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We know that this is what Eve thought she understood in Genesis 4:25, and Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and named him Seth for God has appointed another seed, child, another progeny, another descendant for me instead of Abel whom Cain killed. Abraham was promised the same thing, a seed or a posterity, and that had the understanding of being all those who would come by faith, by placing faith in the Lord, that they would be saved by faith, and they would become then the seed of Abraham that the real descendants of Abraham are those who by faith have trusted in the Lord to be saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. And therefore you and I become the seed of Abraham. So in the very beginning of man's recorded history is the promise that one would come who would have victory over the enemy of our souls. Hallelujah. So from the beginning of time or the beginning of recorded history, this war has existed between mankind and Satan. There is an enmity at work. And why is this? The scripture says that you and I are created in the image and the likeness of God. This, these two words, image and likeness, have this understanding of Sharing in characteristics of the Lord, that would be things such as intelligence, communication, 
being able to share emotions with one another, being able to relate relationally to one another. These are all attributes that the Father has. We occupy time and space in history. These are attributes that the Father has. But also in the image and likeness. This also means not only that, not only bearing some similarity to God, but it also means that we bear the marks of his creation as he intended. In other words, God intended for man to look this way. God intended us for our bodies to function in a certain way. Satan despises the Lord. He hates his creation. And with man as the pinnacle of the Lord's creation, this means, therefore, that the, the enemy of our souls is most bent towards trying to destroy as many people as possible. And we need to remember this, that you and I are involved in a war against our souls, a war against your family members' souls, against your friends' souls. So Satan has assaulted mankind, trying to tear down mankind, and especially focused a a great deal of that assault upon one man in particular, the God-man. This is how wide and how deep and how high and how far the love of God reaches. For unto us a child is born. Unto who? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Let that sink in for a moment. Now, the original recipients of that text, the nation of Israel, would definitely have read that in the understanding that this is talking about Israel and there is directly an understanding of that applied to the text that Christ was given. He came to his people. They rejected him. But let that sink in because Isaiah is speaking directly to Israel, but out of their rejection came the inclusion or or came the birth of the church. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That's a long name. Uh, you know, so many times when you when you have to fill out forms, when Suzanne and I lived in Macau and we were having to fill out government forms all the time, every time we entered and exited Macau every 20 days for new visas and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, I was really glad at that stage that I had no middle name. Um, it's a lot of writing. That, that's a long name to write, isn't it, on a visa application Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a long name, you know. And the the middle name column is going to get filled up with that. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah is split into two. It is split into his birth 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and it is split into his rule, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. You and I are living right in the middle, of the, or somewhere in the middle of that, somewhere between his birth and his rule, when he will rule and reign over this world. John 1, 29 The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. (coughs) This is a a title that John would use at this occasion and then on the very next day in John 1, verse 35, which is there as well. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. I mean, it it must have been an amazing thing to be in that location and see Jesus and have the revelation of who he was, have that understanding, and to be able to say to those men that John was working with and discipling, there he is, there is the one, the Messiah, the anointed. But think about the depth of that statement because it is not... Just a statement, oh, there's the Lamb of God. Think about what that phrase entails to the Jewish mind. What is the Lamb? What's it all about? It's about a sacrificial animal. When we think of Lamb, we think of Sunday roast. This is about a sacrificial animal. This is about an animal given to cover a person's sins. This ties right back to Abraham and Isaac. This this is a phrase all about how great the love of God is. There is the true Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Genesis 22 verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey Why don't you turn to Genesis 22 while I have a quick drink? Abraham arose early in the morning, verse 3, and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for a burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. This this is such... A, a deep and a powerful picture of what worship is right here. Because, you know, we're, we're in the generation, I guess, where we've been raised on uh, these modern um, understanding or concepts of worship. That worship is about, you know, this bit of singing that we did before church. Worship is how you behave every day. You, you bring yourself as an act of worship to the Lord and offer yourself up 
to him as a worship to him for his service. And what a profound statement by Abraham, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. This is why Abraham is called the father of faith. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, verse 6, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. I can't imagine as a father even picking that knife up, knowing what it's being called to be used for in this act of worship. But this is what the gift of Jesus is all about and this is what the Lord was teaching us through Abraham and Isaac, that this is how far God's love is going to reach for you. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Behold the lamb of God. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. This is why he's called the father of faith. God will provide. But he's not sidestepping anything here. So the two of them went together. They came to the place of which God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, most commentators say that this phrase, the angel of the Lord, is a, an Old Testament uh, Christophany. It's, it's an, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament and it is a speaking uh, that Jesus spoke to Abraham in this situation. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. This truly is a worship encounter here. That Abraham, as he, as he walked in this complex obedience... It's a profound obedience here where he's being called to do something that is outrageous if we would think about this on human terms. And he's willing to walk and be obedient to the Lord so much to the point where he stretches out his hand, takes a knife and lifts it to slay his son. And at that point, Jesus speaks to him from heaven. He says, don't do it. I know now. I know now that you fear God. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was the ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. That is called 
a propitiation. Which is what Paul and John both called Jesus. They said that he came and he propitiated for our sins. The word means to be the one who goes between two parties. And so here, instead of the judgment knife falling upon Isaac, the judgment knife is going to fall upon the ram that was caught in the thicket. And so in that way, this ram becomes the propitiation. It's the substitutionary sacrifice. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yirah. As it is said to this day, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. That's a passage that you should take time to read through and read through and read through. Couple that with Philippians chapter 2. We'll look at that shortly. Surely God caused this ram to be caught in the thicket. But Abraham, was it was only revealed to Abraham after he had gone to the point of total obedience. And, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Stop. I know you fear me now. And then Abraham had to take this ram and offer it. And this is the most powerful symbolism or one of in the Old Testament. Another being obviously the Exodus lamb symbolism of God's gift of his son to us which which John the Baptist right at the beginning would identify to us in the most clear of terms behold the lamb of God who what takes away the sins of the world Unto us a child is born. And it's for this reason. This is why the baby Jesus came into the world. How wide? How deep? How high? How far does the love of God reach? I mean, this is, this is a radical concept. And it's, it's good for us to be brought back to this understanding that God is still Yahweh Yirah, Jehovah Jireh. He is still that today. John 10 verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. There's our Lamb of God. What has He done for you? 
He's taken away your sins. Now, there may have been many, many ancillary benefits to having become a believer in Jesus Christ. But that is the core issue because your sin was a barrier between you and God. Your sin was the thing robbing you of life and of peace. You see, there is some difference between Jesus and that ram, isn't there? That ram was a partial covering. That ram was a a partial replacement. That ram was a, a, a substitution of type. That ram was a symbol of what was to come. But Jesus was the real thing. You see, Jesus was not a ram caught in a thicket. He said to Pilate, when Pilate asked him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Pilate was under an illusion about where he stood in life. And so Jesus clarified it in very short terms. He said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. You have nothing. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. That's an interesting phrase. We could be here for a while on that. And so Jesus makes it clear to Pilate that your power is only that which has been given to you. And that he was about to do only what God was allowing him to do. That's interesting. How wide? The love of God? How deep? How far reaching? This is how far the love of God reaches right unto us. Amen. So far, it reaches so far that Christ would replace us where we should be, nailed to that cross. Unto us, a child is born. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, 5 to 11, I would really encourage you to study this passage out and and meditate on it and let it be one of those passages where when you want to get yourself, take yourself from thinking about the selfishness of your life, from thinking about all of your concerns in this world and the difficulties that you're facing. This is a fantastic passage to go to. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Verses 5 and 6 say, I know it starts in verse 7 there. This is how we're to think, Paul says. Verse 7 but made himself of no reputation. This is voluntary by the Lord Jesus. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death of the cross. That is Paul's way of saying even the worst death you can imagine. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's vital that we understand that Christ was not on the earth in a body like a man. He wasn't, he wasn't here like us. He took on form just as us, Paul says. At the time of his death, he was a man, fully a man, yet fully God. He didn't vacate deity. He didn't vacate being the Lord of glory. What he did was vacate the throne room of heaven for a time. That he would walk on the earth in exactly the kind of frame you and I are in. A body made of flesh and blood and bone, sinew, tendon. Obviously, this is very difficult for us to understand, but this had to happen because the promise was given, first of all, way back in Genesis, that the seed of Eve would overcome the enemy. A man would overcome the enemy. This is one perfect offering that was made for who? For unto us a child is born. One perfect offering to satisfactorily meet man's need for redemption. To satisfy the wrath of God against sin. How wide the love of God? How deep? How high? How far reaching? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Just let that sink in, beloved, because Jesus was not given so that tinsel could hang on a tree. That's, that is, it, you know, it's nice to have a celebratory time of year and to share and giving some gifts and cards and all those kinds of things. But I can tell you what, it is amazing to reflect on the love of God for us. Christmas is just the time of year where retailers go insane, you know. This is the time of year where they make all of their profit for the whole year. That's, that's an actual fact. God's plan of salvation involved the Lord of glory stepping down, taking on human form like you and I. 
I mean, that's, that is crazy. But when you understand the gospel, it had to be that way. Because otherwise, the Lamb of God could not truly propitiate for us. If he was not truly a man. God's plan of salvation. God himself taking on the form as a man, being born as a child, growing into maturity, preaching and being rejected to the point where he was slain for you. To pay for our sin. That's what it's all about. That he would pay for our sin. Amen? Hallelujah. That is worth rejoicing over. Praise God. Unto us a child is born. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.